The statements expressed in the following program are those of the speaker. They do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of the sponsor, the host, and or Olas Media. Olas Media. Olas Media presents Cannabis Enlightened. Produced in San Diego, California. Now, here's your host, Dr. Leroy Brady. Hey, everybody. This is Dr. Leroy with Cannabis Enlightened. Welcome to another stimulating, dynamic, exciting episode of Cannabis Enlightened. Um, We're in our second season, and we're very grateful and pleased at the reception that we've had from the audience and also from the guests that we've had. And speaking of guests, we have two very, very knowledgeable and very pretty ladies here with us that are very passionate about cannabis. They're all into cannabis, and they bring some enlightening knowledge to us that I believe everyone is going to really, really enjoy. Now, as always, as opposed to me talking about the guests and introducing them, I like them to do it themselves. As I said, two ladies, and Kayla, would you go first and tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do and why you're important? (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, so my name is Kayla Sanchez. Um, I started in the cannabis industry a few years ago. Um, I was in school to become a nurse, and I got a diagnosis saying that I couldn't be a nurse because of an immune disorder that I had. So I kind of had to shift gears and cannabis definitely felt like a natural shift. Um, it, it requires, it had a medical aspect to it that I really enjoyed. And at the time, St. Louis University was having a program that um, offered education for cannabis science and operations. And so I decided to be the first year to go through that um, certification process. And from there, I kind of gained a knowledge of the full spectrum of cannabis, essentially from business to science to cultivation. But what really stuck with me was the cultivation side of things. So I grew for a year in Missouri. And after that, I saw a real need for education within the uh, cultivation space and decided to write SOPs for companies um, and to help educate their growers further. And I created a business called Guided Green Solutions. So SOPs, uh, I'm assuming that has something to do with cannabis policy? Yeah, so it's standard operational procedures. Um, So when a grower enters, I mean, it's for every, it's for every side of the industry from dispensary to cultivation. Um, to manufacturing, it's it's the procedures that you should follow when you're doing your work. So for a grower, it's knowing how they should be growing in that facility to the best of their abilities, um, and it also in a safe manner. So it's like guidelines for a person that is a cannabis professional. Yes, absolutely, and it's also it can be used as an education tool as well. Okay, and and how about for someone that's in the business of cannabis, is that something that they would use too? Um, like a marketing kind of thing? Okay, so no, not exactly. So SOPs are more for operations, um, so like cultivation, manufacturing, extraction, more for the, the workers than uh, marketing side of things or business. Okay. 
Well, we'll get in, into that a little bit later yeah. as we go on with our episode uh, and our Absolutely. interview. Um, and our next guest, Kara. Hello. Thank you guys for listening today. Um, I'm here in California. I just moved last year, but like Kayla, I did start in Missouri uh, for the cannabis industry. Um, right now, I'm in sales working as a brand ambassador for Ember Valley, who is a premium cultivator of cannabis in California. Um, I did start in Missouri, like I said, in the retail sides of things, working operations as a bud tender and then as a manager of a dispensary store. Just throughout that journey, I've noticed that education does need to be a focus in the industry more. Um, and as I've moved here and integrated my experience in sales, I've noticed it even further in a more advanced industry like California. Um, but overall, I'm aware of the educational demand and necessity in the industry. And when I did first start um, in cannabis, my own health journey was a motivator for succeeding in the industry. Um, within my own health problems, I connected a lot with um, customers, consumers, and um, staff of the dispensaries. And when I have a passion for something, that motivates me further. And that's where I ended up here in California. Um, and now I'm excited to help produce the Cannabis Enlightened show and um, progress on my journey. And, and you, you didn't tell the listening audience who you are. Kara Knittel. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So we've got Kara and Kaylin here who are experts in their own field, one in cultivation and the other one in the area of cannabis uh, marketing, cannabis brand. And, and what brand are you most associated with? Ember Valley. Ember Valley. Okay. Now, is Ember Valley... Um, are they in growers too or okay and manufacturers um so that will be coming very soon okay. they have two um large cultivation facilities currently um so we are just flower cultivators right now um that third facility will provide the manufacturing which will bring the vertically fully integrated okay. products for okay. everyone like the vapes the edibles okay and um okay. concentrates yes. fantastic our mission today, or our focus today, uh, for our listening audience is, you know, how they can get the best possible experience uh, from cannabis, and 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 also, I guess I could put a slash to that and say, um, is there a difference? Uh, what is the difference between recreational and medical? So that's kind of like where we're going with with our discussion today. So. Kayla, what's some basic information that um, the audience should know uh, with respect to cultivation and, you know, getting their best possible experience? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the most important thing to understand is that it, you can't have a cookie cutter approach to it. So every cultivator is going to be different. Um, every facility has their best practices. And so it's really learning your brands and um, understanding what their practices may be. Um, but it's, it's important to know that everyone is different when it comes to their growing methods. So for example, some people believe in using pesticides, other people don't believe in using pesticides. 
that's important consumer knowledge just because you want to know what you're ingesting. Um, there are also standards set in place for third-party testing. So even if the company that you're, the brand that you're going with is, um, do use pesticides on their product, it should be tested um, to a certain degree of safety so that you're not inhaling products that are damaging to your lungs in that capacity. I'm betting that some folks don't know why pesticides would be used on cannabis. Yes. So pests are a big deal, especially in cultivation facilities. Um, the bigger they are, the harder it is to um, upkeep cleanliness if not the correct standards are put in place. And that can lead to um, pests like gnats, um, mites, all kinds of things. Now, are they drawn to cannabis? Um, yeah, because it's a plant, so it's it's going to feed off of the stem structure. It's going to feed off of the leaf. It just depends on what pest you're trying to fight at the time. Um, and that's why being clean is so important. Um, a lot of growers grow at home as well. And if they're not switching out into scrubs or work clothing, they can bring whatever they're working on at home to the facility. And then that can... Um, exacerbate into a much bigger problem. And I'm, I'm betting that the policies that you've written, the SOP that we just, um, standard operating procedures, yeah. talks about that. Absolutely, yeah. That's one of um, my biggest pet peeves is when I go into a facility and there's no cleanliness standards. Um, I would say there's a difference from medical versus recreational, um, just because Medical has higher standards I've seen throughout um, the nation. Recreational, like our legacy growers, they don't have as many standards set in place, so um, it can lead to more problems. And your legacy growers are people that have been growing for a long time, or what makes they, a person a legacy grower? Yeah, so they were part of cannabis before it was really created into what it is today. They were like the OG growers. Um, so like California, Oregon, the West Coast, those would be your legacy growers that have been at it um, since day one. So they really trailblazed the path for us, but now we're trying to set some standards in place for clean products. Safe to say they were in cannabis prior to it becoming legal. Oh, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> okay. All right. So Carol, what, what, from your standpoint, um, as a brand ambassador, what what's some important knowledge that you feel um, the consumer? Because you work on, you, you see two different types of people, the consumer and also the person that is selling the product to the consumer. Correct. Okay. So what's an important um, aspect that you think is, is uh, something that the listeners should really pay attention to? In regard to um, knowledge provided about the cultivation? Well, either that or the product as it is um, in the store. I think that the more that cultivators and manufacturers could provide information on their product label about what the consumer is consuming would be the most beneficial um, for the people that are buying the product and in the store. It, other than providing that information on the actual product label, 
um, making that available to the bud tenders and the people working in the store selling the product and providing that information for the consumers. Um, if there's any sort of protocol protocol or training um, program set up that would incentivize the um, staff to know more about the product, um, well, one, they have to be able to try the product. They have to be incentivized to know more about the product which involves them trying it, um, talking about it, and learning about it. So I think that the more we provide those um, programs and training for the staff, um, as well as just providing general information as much as possible on each product, even down to flour, um, like on the, the jar of flour, it should contain the terpene content, the percentage of CBD, CBN, if any of that's in the flour or edible concentrate at all, it should be provided because people need to know that information. And the more it's put out there, the more normalized that is um, just for people, everyday general people to know that information and then help mm -hmm. grow the knowledge on the cannabis. Okay, so Kayla, um, Kara just brought in some terms that I'm wondering if they're important with respect to uh, cultivation. She talked about, and, and you know, a lot of people, it's been my experience, so a lot of people, um, their knowledge of cannabis is, um, if they refer to it as cannabis, a lot of folks don't. Um, uh, we know that cannabis has a lot of other names, but I like to use cannabis or the word flower. It, it, it yeah. kind of makes it a little bit nicer as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, so definitely. most folks know about THC or CBD, and they know that the THC maybe is um, the psychoactive part of it, and CBD might be more for a pain. Is there more to it than that from a cultivation standpoint? I mean, is it as easy as that? I would say there's a lot more to it um, that the public really isn't getting, and I feel like we can be doing a better job at emphasizing the importance of the other cannabinoids as well. Um, so CBD is a cannabinoid, but so is CBG, CBN. Um, from a cultivation standpoint, I think the biggest emphasis on those cannabinoids are the, the end goal to the, the yeah, cultivation, the grow. So if you're a medical facility, you're gonna to wanna to be picking strains with higher CBD, higher CBG, higher CBN. Um, so CBG has been shown to kill um, cancerous tumors as well as CBN. Um, and there's a lot of great effects that they both have, not just THC and CBD. Um, and then from a rec cultivation standpoint, there's probably going to be more of an emphasis on potency. So they're going to be wanting to get a higher THC percentage because rec users not always, but they seem to be pushing as high as you can go for the psychoactive effects. Um, so from a cultivation standpoint, it's kind of dependent on your consumer at that point and meeting their needs um, in the best way possible. But as Paris stated, it's so important to have that labeled on the um, product so that you understand what you're consuming. Because a lot of people don't, don't know about CBG or those other cannabinoids. Let me ask you both. You, you talked about as high as you can go. How high have 
how high can you go? Or, or, or Kara, how high have you seen some of the brands go with THC? Usually when it's in flower form and accurately tested, you're seeing maybe 39% at the highest um, THC for flower. Um, edibles, that's going to be in milligrams. So, I mean, we've seen upwards of a thousand milligrams. I think that's the legal. A thousand milligrams. A thousand milligrams in wow. one product. Um, that's usually not the dose recommended. Um, <laughs> but for edibles, it is <laughs> based off milligrams. Um, for concentrates, you can see up to 99%. Um, but that's going to be pure THC concentrate distillate. Um, usually something like a live resin concentrate is more similar to flour in that um, it's purely extracted from freeze-dried cannabis. So you're seeing like 60 to 80% at the highest for something like live resin. But pure THC distillate can reach up to 99% for concentrates. So now all the things you're talking about come from the flower. I mean, after the flower is grown and the right pesticides are used, according to Kayla, um, and people are, you know, have the right clothing on so um, they don't get you mad, um, how does it get to this live resin state that you were talking about? Is that something that happens in the manufacturing or the processing? Yeah, so that's more of a processing. I think Kara probably knows more about that because it's not cultivation, really. After it gets taken out of cultivation, it kind of goes to Kara's end of things. Okay. So, yeah, um, live resin or rosin, those are used um, with, like, a hot press to extract that concentrate. Um, sometimes maybe a small remnant of like CO2 or butane, another uh, chemical compound are used, but less, um, less usually than like a THC distillate, which that's used um, with CO2 or butane mostly to extract as much THC as possible. Um, whereas mm -hmm. the terpenes in that are reintroduced um, as opposed to live resin, where the terpenes are not altered. And so you may get a lower percentage of THC, but more benefit. Okay, so is there a difference then, um, Kayla, in how cannabis is grown to bring a higher level of THC or CBD? Yes. So um, it's based upon how you grow the cannabis is how it's going to test. So you can grow the same strain in two different rooms and produce two different results when it comes to THC percentage. So there's best practices used. And that's kind of why we have those SOPs is to create the, the best quality product. Now, that's not to say that every strain is different, so it's really hard to have those cookie-cutter SOPs, but um, growing to, to that plant's um, needs. So stressing out, the, for example, stressing out the plant with um, too much light or too much humidity or too much heat, it's not going to produce the same as um, bud that's created in, in its environment that does best. So it's really going with the strain and 
and following what it needs, essentially. So isn't there a difference, though? Um, you talked about light. Now, if you're, yeah. growing, if you're growing cannabis outside, the mm -hmm. light is the sun. Right. So um, how, do you, how do you change that? How do you vary the light? So that's why outdoor grows are going to be lower testers than indoor because you have more control in, in, in indoor grows. And even greenhouses, you have more control. Outdoor, I mean, the sun is going to do what the sun is going to do. So you can either, you know, put something over it to protect it if it needs that, but it's, it's the sun. So you can't have as much control over it as an indoor grow, grow would. So uh, then, Carol, when a customer comes in, do they... Do they know to ask for indoor or outdoor grow? Uh, I'm seeing it become increasingly more common, but I would say when I first started in a new medical industry in Missouri, it wasn't very likely that the customer would know whether it was indoor or outdoor, or that wasn't really a selling factor that we used. Mm -hmm. um, we really just had top shelf or bottom shelf flower. Um, here, people are becoming more aware of at least indoor versus outdoor grow and the quality. So I will find sometimes um, if I'm out um, on the field, I will have people approach me, ask if my product is indoor. And mm. that's a selling factor for them because it's more regulated and controlled. And they know that they're going to get a more consistent result when they smoke indoor versus something that's outdoor. Now I'm going to try to link a couple of things together. You talked about top shelf and bottom shelf. Does that have to do with how much THC it has in it or if it's indoor or outdoor? It's mostly just on like indoor versus outdoor. Um, in my experience, the top shelf versus bottom shelf, they were both indoor grown. It was mostly just based on the quality of the cannabis, what it looked like, what it smoked like, and the overall consistency. The more consistent the brand is, the more consumers are going to enjoy it and come back for that. Um, so that's just what I saw previously with um, really the only first cultivators in Missouri when I first started. Um, but now, of course, we're in California and it's highly saturated with a lot of cultivators. So the difference between top shelf or bottom shelf would be that just consistent quality that you're getting. And indoor is definitely more desirable in the consumer standpoint. And, and here again, that's because you can control the, the environment better? Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. Yes. Yep. Yep, so you're able to have higher testers that way because you're able to control what's happening to your cannabis throughout the entire cycle. And it's hard for consumers to know that then. Yeah, I mean, it's not common knowledge for people to know unless you're in it. Um, it's not really talked about too much unless you have a bud tender who's educated. So it, it's dependent on um, the dispensary at that point to share that knowledge with the consumer. I see. So in terms of the outdoor grow and the indoor grow, which is what I, you ladies have led me to, um, are the protocols, um, the policies, are they different for the outdoor grow versus the indoor grow? Yeah, so I've only worked with indoor grows, but there are different um, procedures. The testing is going to be the same, though. Um, so, for example, Missouri, um, whether it's medical or recreational, it has to pass through these third-party standards. 
Um, so there can't be any heavy metals found in the product. There can't be any um, specific pesticides or traces of chemicals to a certain percentage, um, moisture content, all of that, it has to be consistent. So the product is still safe for the consumer. When it comes to day-to-day practices, it's going to look different because growing outdoors is different than growing uh, in an indoor facility. There's more things you can control in an indoor facility. So we try our best to have that in place. I love the way these terms just roll off your your tongue, you know, because uh, obviously you're a cannabis professional, so you know what to do. Uh, But this third party, what what does that have to do with bringing the cannabis to the consumer? Mm -hmm. So you can't have in-party testing because it's going to be biased. So essentially, when you have your grow um, and you let it dry, you let it do its thing, and then you take that product before giving it to a dispensary, you have to have that third party tested. So an outside source has to test that product. What I'm finding the problem is, um, is that these third party testers are not, they're regulated by the state. So the state sets up the requirements for what that lab has to look like. Um, and some states are, are on it and some states are not on it. For example, Missouri um, requires all of the third-party testing labs to be ISO certified. So that's international standard um, operator, I think. And what that does is it ensures that the lab is testing correctly and um, it ensures that you're getting the product that you say you're getting. However, not every state requires ISO certification. So you can send it to a third-party lab um, and it not be accurate. Um, and then they're selling that product to the dispensary. Oh, my goodness. Kara, it's been, has it been your experience that a consumer or a, a bud tender concierge will ask if the product you're bringing in has been through a third party? Usually, unfortunately, I say unfortunately just because it should be um, a, a standard knowledge among anyone going into a dispensary or working there um, in that this has been tested and certified. Um, but usually people just assume that. They assume that because it's in a dispensary, this is completely 100% certified. It's a legal product, therefore it must be you know, 100% accurate testing-wise and quality-wise. Um, but from what I've seen in the field, um, not everyone is abiding by that as they should. Kind of like Kayla said, the standards aren't congruent everywhere. Um, so for regular consumers coming into a dispensary, they assume every product, no matter the price on the shelf, is going to be 100% regulated. And that may not be the case um, just based on the different standards um, regard, regarding testing. And we want to make sure that the listening audience and folks go into legal cannabis dispensaries, correct? Yes. Yes, absolutely. So, so I, I guess what, they're, what, what many people are doing is that they feel if they go into a legal cannabis dispensary, that the product they're going to buy has been through all the test procedures that that are necessary would you would you agree with that or yeah the assumption is there is because 
I mean, it's legalized. They think what they're doing is safe and it should be safe. That should be the assumption. But unfortunately, like Karen said, that's not always the case. Um, I mean, I worked at a fully integrated, vertically integrated facility. So we had a grow and they also had a dispensary and we had a consumer buy moldy bud and they opened it up and it, it passed testing. And I don't know how we had to switch third party testers because it wasn't obviously there was mildew there was there was moisture content in the bud um and so it's not always accurate and that's what's scary about it is you don't know what you're getting all the time now you know most people are coming into a dispensary and um some are i guess coming into cannabis um brand new has there been any change with respect to cultivation and how cannabis has grown over the, the years? I mean, let's say if we were 10 years ago, or uh, I'd have to go less than that. Um, if we go right when cannabis was legal, <laughs> okay, we want to talk about that. So from, cannab- from the time cannabis was legal, and here in California, I think that's um, 2015, it's different in every state, I would imagine. Is there a difference in the growing procedures? Um, I would say everyone has a different preferred method, and I feel like we're always learning and we're always growing, and so it should be different from 2015. Um, I would hope that they continue to perfect their craft. Um, So the standards are going to be based upon the grower itself, the cultivation facility itself. So as long as they're growing in a safe way, that's kind of what I'm there is to educate the grower into the facility's specific best practices. But yes, there should be um, continued change within the cultivation facility, especially because we're finding new ways to fight things like viroids. Top latent viroid is a really big one in the uh, cultivation facility right now. And um, there's no cure to this thyroid, but with continued science, um, we're finding ways to help combat that in in the facility. And um, our practices are going to continue to change to continue to stay on top of things like those thyroids. You know, a little bit earlier, we talked about um, cannabinoids and terpenes. Yeah. Is it necessary for a person to know about cannabinoids and terpenes in order to get the the, the best experience from cannabis? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the more educated you are, the better you're going to find products that fit what you're looking for. So um, bud tenders are a great tool for that to help you find um, a product that fits your needs. But having that education yourself um, and you know yourself better than anyone else. So having that knowledge of what you want and how you can get that from the cannabis or from the flower that you're trying to buy. So if you don't do too well with the psychoactive effects of uh, THC, then you want to go for a higher CBD to THC ratio. So it's kind of knowing yourself and then learning about how that works with your body. Kara, are you finding that when, when consumers come in, they know what to ask for? No, more often than not, um, consumers are almost terrified as a first-time customer in a dispensary. I've seen it all the time. I see it now, even in a more progressed state in California, whereas 
you know, Missouri was newer to me. It was normal to have someone like hesitant going into a dispensary here. Mm -hmm. You would expect people are more confident going in, but there's still a lack of knowledge um, for consumers and butt tenders. And I think as we progress and inform more on um, cannabinoids and terpenes, depending on what they're trying to get out of their experience, whether it be medicinal or just you're using cannabis to cope with everyday life and you want something more healthy than grabbing a drink after work, um, depending on whatever need it is that you're seeking out cannabis for, um, it's crucial that you know um, the compounds that are in the products you're consuming so that you get the desired effects. Okay. All right. I'm I'm betting, Kayla, that you've talked to growers who are um, new to the growing business and yes. seasoned growers, okay? that yes. You probably range both. Yes, I have. <laughs> <laughs> what are some of the differences that you see in the first-time grower versus the seasoned grower? Um, it really depends on the person because it's a, it's a mixed bag, I'm not going to lie. You never know what you're walking into. But for the first time grower, I would say they they have a lot of hope and I love it. I love like they're just like they come in and they're like, I don't need to have any pesticides because I'm not going to have any pests and I'm not going to have like any problems, mildew. No, that's not going to happen to my grow. So they're very confident in they're not going to have problems. And I love that. That's what we're always going for. Um but having those standards set in place so that that doesn't happen. And if it does, because it's such a common problem within cultivation facilities is to have procedures set so they know what to do in case that happens. I would say first time growers are more um, easier to talk to. They're more willing to learn. They're more open. Whereas seasoned growers have not always, but they seem to have a little bit more of an ego that their way is the best way. And so that can be very difficult to deal with, um, especially when you're trying to help them and you see that there's a problem within their facility, um, trying to get them to change a procedure versus they're like, well, I've always done it this way, so I don't want to change. They're definitely, it, it's hard to convince them to change their practices. Um, and I would say that would, that's my biggest like thing with the seasoned growers is they, they don't want to. They don't want to change too much. <laughs> it sounds like you've got your hands full with both. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> they both have their benefits because, I mean, a seasoned grower does know what they're doing um, and they have more education, but, you know, they're a little bit more hard-headed. Um, but with the, with the new growers, they're just like, it's like little kids. You're like, okay, like, let me help you um, so that you don't have these problems in the future but trying to guide them. How long does it take you to convince them that they need to look at your, you said SOP, that your, your standard operating procedures, that they need some kind of policy? How long does yeah. it take to turn that corner? Um, so it depends. If they have a problem that's like, for example, hot lighting is very popular, like I mentioned. Um, if they're dealing with a really big problem in their facility, they're definitely more open to listening to new ideas because they're struggling. If they feel like they're doing okay, they're less likely to be open to spending money for education. 
um, for the growers, but um, it can take, I mean, a few days. Sometimes I have a few clients that I'm like, I'm going to work on you for a while. And it's like a month later and they're, they're like, okay, okay. I see that I need this. And some people just don't feel like they need education at all. So it's, it, it varies. So what is your suggestion for a person that wants to get the most out of their, their cannabis experience? Is it, um, knowing more about the THC, the CBD, the terpenes, the cannabinoids. What's the best way for them to go about this? Um, maybe from like a cultivation standpoint, I would say learn your brand. Um, learn the brands that you're interested in. Um, try to figure out where their morals are when it comes to growing practices so that you find something that's in line with you. So pesticides versus no pesticides. Um, and then I think a general knowledge, like you mentioned before, of terpenes, cannabinoids, and how that affects your body is also a great resource to have when you're walking into a dispensary, so you know what product will fit you best. Kara, is that the same thing that you've experienced? Uh, yes, um, I definitely agree with that on the cultivation standpoint. The more you know about the cultivator or brand that you're interested in, the better results that you'll achieve. Um, I think for the consumer, though, the, the best thing to for them to do is just to be aware of what kind of what is their outcome that they want to achieve. Are they trying to reduce their anxiety and stress? Are they trying to get a good night's sleep? Are they trying to treat their medical condition? Once I identified that, um, and once we equipped the sales team and retail sides of things, like the butt tenders, um, actually selling the product to the consumer, looking for a type of effect then they can approach them in that way of this is what I'm looking for, and then they can provide them with that product that will help them achieve those goals. Okay, so you, you've got um, a grower in front of you, um, and you can, you've got a opportunity to t tell them something that's important for them to know. What do you tell them? Mm. From like a cultivation standpoint or? From a cultivation standpoint, yeah. That's a hard one. I would say educate yourself. Um, so I think there's so much power in knowledge. Um, and if they're not getting that from their facility, it's so important to um, educate yourself. There's a lot of programs out there that are offered. Um, the one I took from SLU was great, um, but having that online resource use it and you will become such a better grower the more you educate yourself yeah well kayla you took one of my taglines knowledge is power that's what i always say Sorry about that. <laughs> thank you very much carol when you're talking to bud tenders when you're talking to um cannabis professionals what's the most important thing you want to share with them concerning the product i would usually when i'm selling my brand of Ember Valley, it's always uh, based on the quality and consistency of our practices. Um, just as Kayla said, with the cultivation standard operating procedures, it's important to have that um, protocol in line so that people know what they're consuming. Um, as far as talking to bud tenders and you know other people among the industry, I can educate them enough about 
the product. Um, I think in kind of a different aspect for each store and brand, um, I think it would be important to provide um, accessible trading materials for the staff. Um, like when I first started as a bud tender, we had uh, modules online that we would take um, a quiz about a specific brand. There would be like 10 questions. And once you completed that, you would earn um, branded material um, or products from that company um, as a reward and incentive. Mm -hmm. And therefore, you earn the education and you're motivated to complete that and then be better equipped to serve the public. So I think the more, and I haven't really seen that here too often, but I'm not directly in the retail sides of things. I'm just outside sales. But I would hope that California has those um, procedures set in place to incentivize their staff. What I can do as a brand is, you know, participate in a education for the store and um, set a time where I present material through our training protocol and educate the staff on my brand specifically and just how we do things so that they're able to better ed educate um, consumers. But um, that's not always accessible. And so I think any sort of easily accessible information that would motivate staff to learn more about the product would be extremely beneficial. Okay. Listen, I want to thank both of you for being so gracious with your time and your knowledge. Um, I really appreciate it. Uh, I think the listening audience is going to be a lot more educated based upon what you two have said to them in terms of the cultivation and from the cultivation to the brand that is in the, the store, uh, Kara. So I, I really appreciate that. Can, can you two give us some contact information, perhaps uh, the listening audience would want to contact you for some follow-up. Kayla, can you give us how they would yeah. contact you? Definitely. So I'm on LinkedIn. If you Google my name, I'm sure I'll pop right up. Um, but also I have a website, guidedgreensolutions.com, and that will have all of my information, my email, um, what I do, um, my SOPs. So I feel like that would be yeah, the best way, best way to get to me. Once again, standard operating procedures, right? Yes. Okay. Training, yes. Training. SOPs and okay. All right. Okay. And Kayla? Thank you. I also have a LinkedIn. You can find me on there. Just searching my name like Kayla, Kara Knittle. Um, I'm on Instagram. Don't care about that. But other than that, I don't have a, I don't have a website. That's where you can find me. <laughs> okay. All of my contact information is on LinkedIn. Fantastic. Thank you, ladies. I'm, I'm sure the audience really... Um, appreciate hearing uh, about the the growth cultivation. Uh, I remember when I was teaching um, the business of cannabis, uh, people would come in and they would ask about, well, you know, is growing part of the business of cannabis? And I would say yes, but I couldn't yes. give them a lot of information about cultivation. So Kayla, you have done that. You have, uh, have you know, given. Uh, what information um, people would want to know or need to know with respect to cultivation. And Kara, you've extended that with uh, more information concerning when you go into the store. You know, don't just go into the store saying, help me, help me. Know a little bit about um, the brand and know a little bit about the, the particular strain so a person can get the best possible experience from um, 
cannabis. So thank you very much, ladies. Really appreciate your time and your thoughts and your information. Thank you. Thank you so much. And if you like this and you want to hear more of our episodes, especially episodes in season one, you can contact me at drleroy at cannabisenlightened.com. This is Dr. Leroy, host of Cannabis Enlightened, which is brought to you by March and Ash. And remember, knowledge is power. Olas Media.